Hello, I'm Liv Bolton and welcome back to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire you to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of your life. Series 6 of The Outdoors Fix is produced in association with outdoor footwear brand Merrill. It's a hot midsummer's day and I've come to Snowdonia to meet teacher, mountain rescue volunteer, landscape photographer and mountain leader Helen Isles. Helen's going to take me on a short walk in this lesser known part of the National Park in a minute but I'm fascinated by how she's created her portfolio outdoors life and career and I can't wait to hear more about it. It's something that many of us aspire to so what's the reality like? How does she make it happen? Right, I'm just going to go and find her, but I feel unbelievably lucky to be out recording on such a beautiful day like this. Helen, hello. Thank you so much for coming on the Outdoors Fix podcast. Well, bonada. Good morning to you. Good morning, Good indeed. Morning. It is the most beautiful morning. We are, I mean, it's just bright sun. We're by a lake. We've got the view of Kata Idris in the, in the background. I mean, you picked a pretty picturesque spot. I'm very biased, but yeah, I think it's absolutely stunning. It's one of the lesser known parts of Snowdonia. Absolutely gorgeous. So yes, we are in Dolgethle. Yeah, brilliant. Did I pronounce it right? (laughs) In southern Snowdonia. And uh, it's a part of this, you know, national parks I really don't know as well Mm. as, you know, the Ogwen Valley and and near Snowdon. Mm -hmm. But it's stunning. Can you tell us exactly what this lake is called and, and where we are? Okay, so we're at Llyn Cynnwch. Llyn means lake. And we're overlooking Cadridris. So at the far end there is Cadridris, where you can see the bowl of Llynagadar, which is the lake at the bottom of Cadridris. You can see the Cyfroeret. You can see Mynydd Mall to the left as well. Um, and if we spin round, you could probably see the Rhinogydd Mountains over there. Lots of Welsh words for you there. That's oh, brilliant. <laughs> so we're going to go for a little walk around the lake and we're going to find a spot to record the bulk of the podcast but I mean it is just the perfect day so I think better crack on. Excellent let's go. So in lockdown this was your run? Yes so I'm lucky enough to live at the bottom um, and there's a back uh, sort of route coming up the top here and then you can run around the lake so I was very very lucky during lockdown one outing a day or whatever we have it seems so bizarre to think about that time now doesn't it it does it does and i think wales we had quite strict restrictions Mm. which are only really lifting recently um where you seem to be a little bit slower than england for example opening up right well helen we have sat down at the side of the lake and we've got this view stretching out over the lake to the mountains. Absolutely beautiful area, isn't it? So, you've obviously got adventure and the mountains on your doorstep and you seem to make the most of it with your career and your volunteering. So you're a mountain leader, you're a mountain rescue volunteer, a part-time teacher and a landscape photographer, which to me just sounds fascinating. And I want to go through some of those, you know, what you do in those roles a little bit later. But I want to find out how you got into this all and so how have you made your life so outdoorsy? Tell me the journey. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a little village called Talabont, which is on the coast, just directly opposite here. And it was um, my parents, wonderful people, outdoor people themselves. So it was just part of us growing up. We were always out. We were out walking or we were on the sea, um, spent a lot of time on boats, diving. 
Um, and I think they also nurtured in me just being outdoors and don't be scared of having a go. And so I was a diver, I was a snorkeler, went away to university to Birmingham. Uh, I was there for about, it wasn't university then, I'm, I'm actually inflating my own ego there, it was a polytechnic in those days. Yeah. <laughs> and did a teaching degree and stayed there for a year and then my then partner, we decided to go travelling for a year and we travelled all the way around the world, uh, went to some amazing locations and then came back to Birmingham and thought, no, we need to be back in the country and move back here. And I've been in this area then ever since. Obviously, I've travelled quite a bit, um, done other things, um, taken the family again, travelling, but moved back to this area and I've just always out. Um, once my children had grown up a bit as well, I had quite a bit more free time and I started walking. And then I suddenly realised I loved walking um, and I loved my photography. My fo photography became a big part of my life. And from that, I decided to just expand on that really. And the mountain leader qualification was something I did for my own peace of mind. So I was safe up in the mountains and I was safe taking other people up into the mountains. And it just gave me confidence. Did you always have that desire to have an outdoorsy life? Is there any other? <laughs> um, yes, I'm an outdoor person. I'm a little bit of a traveller by heart. Um, my mum says her memories of me as a child was I always had a bag packed on the bottom of my bed just in case I was going somewhere in the middle of the night. But I, wow. I, I can remember having a little tiny um, suitcase and in it I'd got some food and an umbrella for some reason and that was probably at the age of six, seven. So I always loved the spirit of being outside camping. Um, I've always had vans and uh, trucks that the kids and family can sleep in and then as they grew up and didn't want to come probably camping with mum as much, it's not quite as cool. I've got more into mountain camping and solo camping and more recently into bivying, so I love bivying out as well. Oh, you've taken some phenomenal photographs when you've been out of bivying, which I'd love to talk about in a minute. But just in terms of that balance of your life then, has it always been a conscious decision to sort of do the teaching part-time to then be able to do the mountain leading, the photography and the mountain rescue volunteering? Um, more than anything, that was um, a need so that I had time to spend with my children while they were growing up. Um, so I was part-time teacher and I actually had the holidays with the children as well, which was just phenomenal. I, you know, I'm so lucky to have been able to do that. And then obviously as they've grown up and then the photography took over. So the teaching them has become a means of me being able to carry on with the photography. Um, my photography, I, I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'm going to retire on my photography, um, but I have various things that I do with the photography as well. So it, it's a little bit of leading. It's a bit of photography, workshops, one-to-ones, um, guiding people. I get a lot of people saying, how did you take that photo? Where were you? You know, could you get me there? And I love being able to share that with people and take people maybe to places where they're not quite as comfy or wouldn't be quite sure where, how to get there and then have a bit of an adventure with them as well. So what would a typical week be like for you? I mean, you know, COVID aside probably, mm. but how does your working week pan out? Um, so I teach in the primary school in Barmouth, Escola Trith, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, and then on a Wednesday night, I seem to have found myself as training officer for South Snowdonia Search and Rescue Team, which is Mountain Rescue Team. So a lot of 
Monday and Tuesday evenings are spent preparing for the training on a Wednesday night and then we have training on a Wednesday night then Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday um, it changes week to week which is what I really like I'm not stuck to one place I'm not stuck to one time um, different times of the year it can change it could be that I'm writing it could be that um, I do a little bit of property photography as well which helps bring some money in I think in an area like this you have to be very flexible and do a bit of everything. And is that partly I suppose because of the weather? Because if it's oh, you totally, know, yeah. totally, yes, yeah. And with COVID as well, COVID has been very, very hard around here. Um, especially for those working in the outdoor business. Obviously you haven't been able to take people out for walks, haven't been able to things are opening up now and I think it's swung the other way that it's so busy now, um, people are sort of overwhelmed. With the mountain rescue then, which I really want to talk to you about, because it's it's such a huge dedication of time. Mm. Tell me how you became a volunteer with South Snowdonia Mountain Rescue and how much of your time it takes up and what you have to do, how many call outs you have. Okay, so when I lived in Barmouth, um, I was actually RNLI. So I was a lifeboat crew. Mm. Um, I was on the lifeboat for 23 years. Wow. Um, obviously geography now means that I'm not close enough to the station um, to be able to be on call, if you like. Um, I was a mechanic um, on the intro lifeboat, I was a navigator, first aider um, and as when I moved uh, I was unable to do RNLI um, but I had actually started going to the mountain rescue just out of, uh, uh, volunteering is a very important part of my life because you can give something back um, and also Let's face it, we love uh, the people on the team. Once we're trained, we love the buzz of it. We love being able to help other people. I've loved the first aid side of things, um, and so I've quite done a lot of qualifications now. I've done my CAS care, and it, it's just something that I've naturally fell into, I think. Uh, mountain rescue takes up quite a lot of time. So, um, for example, this weekend, I've got a full weekend doing a uh, refresher CAS care course. Uh, there's various courses that go on through the year um, setting up the training as well which has been very difficult during Covid but we've had to keep training mm. obviously because people are still out on the hills um, and we have to keep there's a skill fate so we need to keep those skills fresh uh, just knowledge of the equipment how things work how we work as a team uh, and just keep keeping that training program going takes quite a lot of time mm. I must admit yeah and how often do you get called out? And, and how are you called out? Is it via um, a walkie-talkie? Is it via text message? So our patch covers the Rhinogith Mountains um, and they are the less known in Snowdonia, but they're very, very remote. They're, we have uh, quite a lot of experienced walkers here. And so usually what we find is a lot of our call-outs are to experienced people that have had an accident mm. and it happens you know people do have accidents it's it's not through ignorance or they usually have all the equipment but they've had an accident um, what happens then is if they're lucky enough to have phone signal then they can phone 999 and then it gets sent through we actually work as part of North Wales Police so North Wales Police con contact us and then we have a structure that the information is passed down to the team. We have a base in Transfernith where all the equipment's kept and then we can move out from there and deploy from there. 
Sometimes um, you, you've seen how remote this area is and I think our nearest hospital is 60 miles away. Wow. So you can imagine that resources are quite scarce. And so we're very, very reliant on helicopters here as well. And we have the amazing 936, Rescue 936 helicopter. If the weather's good, they will come in and help us as well. And they will help us sometimes move kit up to the top of a mountain, move people up to the top of a mountain, or they will assist us and get a casualty to hospital quite quickly. And so we're indebted to them. Such an important part of the rescue service around here. If you wanted to become a volunteer, mm -hmm. do you have to already have some qualifications? I mean, I mean, obviously you have the mountain leader qualification mm -hmm and you have now got first aid, but how would you start being a volunteer? What would you need? Uh, get in touch, get in touch with us. Um, I know that some mountain rescue teams uh, require a minimum qualification. Uh, we don't have that luxury. We, we're happy to see lots of people. Um, for us, it's we're not as technical, so we're not climbers, we're not um, specific skills, but an interest in the mountain, a general level of fitness, if you can come to the table with Mountain Leader, that would be amazing. Or if you could come with some kind of skill such as doctor or navigation, or we will accept you, you know, with, with open arms. <laughs> with open arms, yeah. Do you think in terms of the rescues that you've had to do, is it that you have to carry the stretchers down? Uh, is it that you have to administer first aid? What are your tasks when you get to the casualty? Um, varied, totally varied from anaphylactic shocks on tops of mountains to heart attacks, uh, cardiac arrests, um, to slips, trips, falls. Um, I seem to, personally, I seem to attract a lot of um, broken femurs, broken pelvises, wow. um, just accidents that have happened on top of the mountains. Then, of course, uh, so what, for example, I'll, I'll talk you mm. through a, a shout. We had a gentleman who literally just stood on a rock and slipped off the rock and fell very heavily on his um, bottom and broke the top off his femur. And of course, then you're in a very difficult situation. He can't move because he's in so much pain. He, it took us probably about an hour and a half to get the stretcher and the equipment up there. Uh, helicopter was unavailable because of the cloud level was so low. Um, we then um, administered first aid, pain relief, and then we had to stretch him out of there. We have a stretcher system with a wheel now, which is much, much, oh, it's, it's incredible, and it just makes it a lot easier. But saying that, it still took a team of probably about 12 to 14 people moving in and out of the stretcher to carry him down the mountain um, and then to get him to the ambulance. And you're talking probably about four or five hours in a situation like that. So it's a lot of manpower, a lot of time um, and a lot of coordination. Um, but the training that you get in mountain rescue is brilliant in that you know which role you're in and we all work as a team. Team spirit is essential. Mountain rescue is obviously a voluntary thing. Yeah. And all the team members uh, do it in their spare time and for free. Mm -hmm. So how does it work? I mean, it's it's obviously funded by fundraising, but is that a part of your role as well, to try and raise awareness? Yes, it is. Um, a part of it is literally shaking buckets and going to events and 
just having a presence places. Um, we've got some wonderful uh, sponsors from around the area. Magnox, the um, power station, have just donated money for new jackets for us. Um, but a lot of it is our own kit. You, ha you have to supply your own kit. Uh, we, the South Nodonia, do supply uh, things like harnesses and helmets, but again, we have to fundraise for that money. There is no central bank, if you like. Um, so yeah, it's a big part of it, is raising the awareness um, and just trying to get some money into the bank. Yeah, well, mm. amazing thing that you all do, because it's a huge commitment. It, it is a big, but uh, also, it's a big part of the community around here. So when I was on the lifeboat, the, the lifeboat community in Barmouth was huge, massive. I know we spread around a larger area, geography-wise, but we are a very social team as well. And I'd say that a lot of my friends come from Mountain Rescue. And the fact that we've been in some situations where we've all had to work really closely as a team is a bonding moment as well. And also, it can be a little bit of a support if you have a difficult uh, scenario, because sometimes not all scenarios are happy. I was going to ask about that. Mm. This year, how many call-outs do you think you've been on? Um, this year has been very, very different because of COVID. Um, people haven't been out in the mountains. Last year was a lot busier. Sometimes it might be that we're called out twice a week, three times a week. Other times it might be months before we're called out. And so that's where the training comes in, keeping those skills up to date and familiarity with the equipment and first aid. When things don't go as you know we all hope uh, on a rescue, do you find that it affects you or is there some counselling that the mountain rescue volunteers get? There is, there's all kinds of support systems in place um, and as a team as well we remind new people. Um, we're volunteers at the end of the day, we're people, we all have, we come to the table with our own stories as well and it might be that you've been in a scenario which has involved something sad um, and you don't want to go into that type of scenario again. Um, we say to people, you volunteers, we will respect that and support you um, if you choose not to go on that particular call out, and that is just fine. Um, also, there is counselling available, um, and I think that's really... It, when I first joined the voluntary services, there wasn't that support available, but there is now, and I think it's more accepted that we all need a little bit of help sometimes. Definitely. Moving on to your landscape photography then, which um, you've been published in many magazines, you've been nominated for Landscape Photographer of the Year a number of times. Tell me about what is it that you're looking for in your landscape photography? What really buzzes you to, to get out <laughs> and, and search for that shot? So I say to a lot of people that I work with and they say, well, what are you looking for? And I say, well, I'm actually a reactive photographer. I don't go out with any ideas in my head. I don't go out with certain shots in my head. I react. And uh, I came to realise that in this environment, we've got a lot of clouds and we've got a lot of weather, haven't we? And I, I've actually learned to work with the weather and work with the light you've got. Love the light you've got. That's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Because sometimes you ain't got no light. <laughs> <laughs> so, so work with what you've got. And I like simplicity in my photos as well. Yeah, it's reactive, and so if I'm on top of a mountain and a storm's coming through, rather than, oh my God, I've, you know, it's going to rain, I've got to pack everything, look, look and see what you can see, and see what excites you, and 
it's very, very based on the moment. You have had some phenomenal photographs published in the Great Outdoors magazine. I, 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 I can't believe that. I approached my first ever article for the Great Outdoors was many years ago, and uh, it was it was unbelievable. So a friend and I, um, both photographers, we decided that we wanted to go and sleep on top of a mountain, uh, Glidavaud by Castelliquint. Uh, Castelliquint means uh, Castle of the Wind, and it's an outcrop on top of the mountains, on top of the Glidade. And we stumbled up there, and I think I'd got you know like two Argos sleeping bags for fifteen quid each. I got an old tent. My boots were rubbish. Um, I just didn't have the right kit and we got up there about four o'clock in the afternoon and realised, oh my goodness, this is going to be stormy, cold, freezing. And I think it actually got to, down to about minus 15 that night. Oh we were so unprepared, but we survived, you know. And I can remember shouting across to Chris in his tent saying, hey mate, you still alive? And he was saying, yeah, just about. It was so cold, but the dawn oh my goodness it was just the most incredible dawn the, the clouds were rolling over um Krupkoch and Snowden the Withfire was standing out through the clouds and it was pink and I can just remember running around just thinking this is unbelievable and trying to capture the moment just every time I see the photos I still get goosebumps and I approached the great outdoors and I said look I've got some photos and they said oh my goodness yeah right and I thought I can't write about that but I sat down and wrote down exactly how it felt to me and what the moment was like and capturing those feelings and I couldn't believe it when they said yes we'd like eight pages oh my god eight pages I can't write eight pages um but just by being me and talking about how I felt it it happened um since then I've approached them a couple of times and said oh I've got a story and they've said yes please we want photos and I think they they quite like the fact that I can take photos and write about the moment Mm -hmm. um they say a photograph sells a thousand says a thousand words don't Mm -hmm. they um I think one of my biggest achievements with the great outdoors was writing about when I stayed on Unessentially, um which is Bardsey Island I don't know if you know Bardsey Island mm. which is this little tiny island off um, Wales and it is I, I can't recommend it enough and I stayed there for five days they've got cottages there there's no electricity but you stay in the wow. cottages and it's all solar powered and just to be able to immerse myself in that environment for five days and write as it went on was wonderful Thank goodness I'd taken enough wine because um, the boat, my friend was supposed to come over and stay and a storm came in and she couldn't get there so I had enough wine and food to keep me going which is lovely (laughs) so I drank her wine as well and it was just wonderful, absolutely incredible and I felt very privileged to be able to be there for five days. Another set of photographs of yours that I just thought were absolutely stunning is when you went and bivvied and you photographed the comet Neowise. Mm -hmm in the beautiful starry sky. Tell me how that came about, how you worked out where it was going to be. Well, uh, that was at the end of the very first lockdown where everybody was just going a little bit stir crazy because around here, a lot of our mountains were closed to us. They were restricted. So even though I live in the mountains, I could look at them, but I couldn't go in them. Um, and my farmer friend, Ben, uh, who owns and farms that area, um, I phoned him up and said, Ben, can I come and sleep on top of the Lletha, which is the biggest of the Rhinogith Mountains? He said, yeah, go for it. Um, and I packed my tent and just, just, it, I can't describe it. So it was the end of lockdown. It was the end of all those emotions and fears and unknown, because it was a scary time, yeah. wasn't it? It was just the unknown. 
um, and set my tent up and made a brew and just sat and just thought, oh my goodness, I'm back in the mountains, this is lovely. And I knew that from what I'd read, apparently this comet was going to be in the sky about midnight and so it was quite chilly so I, I got my head down for a couple of hours and then my alarm went off and uh, I thought, right, I'll go and see if I can see it. And I came out of the tent and I got over just thinking, oh my goodness, there it is. Wow. And it was that clear because of the dark sky status we have around here. Um, I was above the um, sort of light pollution from the towns and there it was. It was just incredible and I, I just ran around taking photos of it and luckily enough the TTO loved the photos and so it was featured there as well. But just a magical moment and you know the adventure just didn't finish there either um, because next morning was just the clearest beautifulest morning with mists over Llinhoel and the Rhinogith Mountains and it to me it just gave me a big hug after lockdown and just said it's okay life's still going on the mountains are still there and breathe we've got this we can do this now tell me about your equipment then the camera equipment that you take when you go and, and search for shots like that not necessarily the the night shots but mm -hmm. generally what's your kit when you're going out in the mountains so i'm a very basic photographer <laughs> i have at the moment one lens and one camera and, um, and which ones are they? So I've got a, I've just gone across to mirrorless camera. Um, so I've got a Nikon Z6. Um, and with that, I saved up and bought the 2470. And I'm just, just blown away by what that camera can do. Um, I've got a lightweight tripod. Um, and that's about it, really. I take filters. I use case filters. Um, very... Uh, I've used a lot of cheaper filters before now, but I found that when I was stacking the filters, I was getting colour on it. And so just by investing in good kit and just keeping it very simple, that's what I do. When you're out and doing photography, when it's cold and freezing and in the snow, is there anything else that you have to bring with you? Because I know batteries, yeah. you know, just yeah. disappear in the cold, don't they? Yeah, um, things change a little bit then because obviously your pack gets a bit bigger. You have to be a bit more aware of safety um, and keeping warm because when you're walking, that's fine. You're nice and warm. But when you actually stop to take a photo, it's amazing how cold you can get. So that's where my thermal layers come in and hats and gloves and... You know, there's little warm packs, wonderful. And they're great if you're sleeping at night as well in a tent. Put them down your sleeping bag, keep your bottom warm. <laughs> <laughs> do you like to tend to go out for a couple of days? Is that how you do your photography sometimes to get the sunset and the sunrise? Uh, so the reason I got into camping was, um, yes, the sunset. And the trouble is, if you go up in sunset and then come back down again, you're coming back in the dark. And I suddenly realised by camping out, you can extend that time. You get the morning and the night. You get that lovely golden hour in the morning and possibly dawns in the morning as well with the, the light creeping in and that blue hour. Very special moments. Uh, I tend not to go for two or three days. Usually it's just overnight. Just going back to uh, being on the hills then, obviously you're a mountain leader and you're part of the mountain rescue team. Can you just tell me some of the things that really people should never go on a walk without when you're in the mountains? Um, the biggest thing I think is tell somebody where you're going. Tell somebody where you're going, even if it's just leaving a note somewhere or um, telling your partner or telling somebody in the family and just a very rough estimate of when you'd be back because that's when the alarm can be raised that if something's happened to you, if you've had a, a trip or a fall or a stumble or even kit breaking, 
Um, there are lots of things you can do, like making sure that your kit is um, suitable for the conditions that you're going out in. Make sure that you've got a phone charged saying that, you know, there's not signal everywhere in these mountains. But, you know, if you're going overnight, make sure your batteries are charged for torch, make sure food, you know, sometimes when you're having a low moment when you've been working really hard or when you've been uh, walking for a long time, just a little bit of sugar can just raise your spirits a little bit. Yeah. I've heard obviously a lot of people still recommend the use of paper maps and some people use what three words or some people don't really like that. Do you use a GPS? What do you use? I personally use a, a mixture of things. Um, I can navigate with maps and I can navigate quite well with compasses and stuff like that. That takes quite a lot of skill to be able to do and dedication. If you can do it, do it. It's brilliant. It, it opens up a whole new world to you. Uh, you can use things like view rangers, um, you can use things like OS maps. Uh, there's lots of apps that you can download on your phone which just give you a grid reference. So if something goes wrong and you need to tell somebody where you are, they can, it can give you a grid reference. All of these are free, um, you know, those apps t to tell you where you are. What three words is um, used as well. Have to be a little bit careful with that, with the spelling of words, because mm. just the slight misspelling of a word can put you in a totally different location. Right. But again, if that's what people are happy with, you know, it's better than not having any um, way of finding where you are. So yes, there are certain things that you need to take out with you to be safe in the mountains, but that's not to try and intimidate anybody from getting outdoors and, and just loving it. Not at all. Do you know what? Get out there. Get out there, enjoy. And as you progress, you'll, you'll find that you'll start collecting the equipment that you need rather than thinking, I've got to carry everything. I, I started in some very cheap boots. I've progressed up to boots that are more suitable to the one, what I need. Um, get out there, have fun, do it, you know, enjoy. Just have a little bit of common sense, let somebody know where you're going. But unless you're out there, you won't see these things. You don't know what you're missing. You know, you might be missing that moment. So my biggest, biggest thing to people is go out, have fun, enjoy it. And you'll find that you have a natural, yes, I want to do this a little bit more or I want to stop or I'm not comfy in this situation. And, but unless you're out there, you don't know. <laughs> a lot of the environments that I'm in, uh, for example, lifeboat and for example, mountain rescue. It's been lovely being a female in there and seeing and nurturing, hopefully, other women to take a part as well. I think sometimes women aren't encouraged to have a go and lack confidence. Um, and so if I could just inspire maybe one or two people, women just to have a go at something a little bit out of their comfort zone, just go for a walk. For example, locally, there's a, I've taken a group of women up Cader Idris. So they'd looked at Cader Idris, their, many members in their family had gone up Cader Idris, but they themselves said, oh no, I can't, I can't do that. And we took the whole day about it and we walked up and we laughed and we talked and we chatted and we got to the top. And at the top, some of the women were quite emotionally touched that they'd actually got to the top of the mountain. And I found that so inspiring that these lovely women hadn't had the chance or the confidence to do that and if I could inspire just a few people to do that hopefully once Covid is opening up again I'd like to do a few more of those walks because we live in an amazing place and if people don't get chance to see those places it's quite sad really isn't it. Now it's, it does sound like a, a brilliant exciting life that you have um, Covid aside you know with the outdoors balancing it with your teaching and being able to do that 
Have there been times though where, you know, there must have been difficult times with that lifestyle. I suppose mm -hmm. financially, like you say, you, you have to sometimes support your photography with a bit of commercial photography. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are difficult times, but uh, I think just my love of the outdoors keeps me going. Um, there's been difficult times on the lifeboat. I've lost very, very close friends on the lifeboat Gosh. and that's made you question everything. But that's life, isn't it? You, you take little steps and keep going forward. Uh, lovely saying, you know, if you're a runner, um, run if you can, walk if you have to, crawl if you must, but just keep moving forward. Just keep little steps forward. Just keep moving forward. I think we've all had some big moments in our lives where we've had to question life, but it's all about just moving forward. Just keep breathing, chill, look at things. Look at look where we are. This stunning, isn't it? You know, exactly. just watching the dragonflies on the, the lake and it puts it in perspective. Uh, a lot of my night photography, I just sit there in awe of, we're just a little rock hurtling through space and what a beautiful rock we are and if only you know if everybody could just get a moment of thinking what a beautiful place we live in then maybe we'd love our world a little bit more wouldn't we and look after it a bit more helen who are three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures oh that's 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 a tough one so uh, basically Biggest, foremost, my mum and dad. You know, my mum and dad were incredible. They're outdoor people. They're still active. They, they now live in southern Spain. Um, they're out every day walking, sending me photos of tortoises that they've wow. found. Um, they encouraged me. There was never any, you can't do this. It was always have a go. Um, from an early age, I was diving with my dad and snorkeling and out with my mum playing badminton, you know, very, very active people and they've always encouraged me. Um, I didn't even realise there was any difference in genders. <laughs> I just thought that everybody had the same opportunities and it's wonderful. Um, as to other people that, have in, that I see, do you know what, it's more stories that I find okay. inspirational. Yeah. So um, things like Florence Nightingale, how amazing, you know, the stories you hear about her. Um, people that have done massive walks, people that have climbed mountains, it's, it's experiences um, that I find quite inspirational. And what I love as well is enthusiasm. So if, if somebody comes up to me and they're, they're talking to me and they have an enthusiasm about something, a, I can't even put it in words really, but if they chat and, and they bubble about something, I will bubble with them. Mm -hmm. So as to naming people, you know, there's, there's photographers that I admire, but again, it's the story sometimes behind the photo as to oppose the actual photo. Um, as to heroes, it's, it's tales and stories and experiences and what went on behind the scenes that, that inspires me. tips then Helen mm -hmm. um, on landscape photography then yes what are some good tips for people to improve their landscape shots mm -hmm. I mean this is basics but things that people may not know if they're not you know a professional photographer yeah um, composition 
anatomy, composition, and it's not something that can be taught, it's something that you feel and you are happy with. So uh, people say to me, you know, how do you compose your shots? Well, I've looked at an awful lot of other people's images and I'm looking at images all the time and I'm thinking, I like the balance in that, I like the where the horizon is in that image, I like the light in that image and it helps to just give you an idea of composition rather than just taking a snapshot have a think about where do you want that horizon where do you want that tree where do you want that person don't just put the person in the middle try putting them to the side um, lower your camera so it's not just at eye height um, maybe lift your camera so it's a little bit higher and just by moving around you'll find something that resonates with you and you're happy with. Are there any more photography tips for people who you know in terms of like maybe the use of light? Yeah um, use of light definitely if you've got light use the light and love the light that you have that's a phrase I, I use quite often sometimes there is no light um, also as people get tied up with equipment and you have to have this lens and you have to have that camera the best camera you've got is the one that you've got. So it might be an iPhone, it might be a um, camera phone of some kind, it might be cheap, it might be expensive. But again, it's coming back to that composition and taking something that, for you. Don't take it to impress other people. Take it for you. Make sure that you enjoy what you're taking. Um, with photography as well, I say to people, print how many people have got photos on their hard drives on their phones but they haven't actually printed them print them put them up on the wall be proud remember that moment um it's capturing a moment it's storytelling it's saying of a moment you had up in the mountains or by the sea or and and it's capturing that moment and they're good moments so we need a lot of good moments in our lives i think so yeah enjoy them <laughs> If people are going to come to Southern Snowdonia then, I mean, it's like, like you say, it's less of a honeypot area than the yes, Ogwen Valley yes. and Snowdon. Yeah. Um, where are some of the, the favourite or, or places that people should go to? Oh, so many, so many. Um, so where we are, we've got, we've, is that a kite there? Oh, wow. Yeah, that looks like a kite. Yeah. More yes, more, it's got the forked tail. Yeah, we've got more yeah. and more kites in the area now. They're just Wonderful. beautiful. Um, so for simple walks, um, the, where we are now, there's the Precipice Walk, which is absolutely stunning, overlooking the Merdach estuary. Um, and over to our right, we've got Moor Lofrum, which is a beautiful walk, all of beautiful paths, signposted, clear to do, um, not much chance of getting lost. If you want something a little bit more adventurous, there's the Rhinogith Mountains. Um, and again, stunning, absolutely stunning. There's some lakes and some scenery up there. If you, a lot of my photography is done up in those mountains there. Cadridris stunning mountain and um, you're gonna have to go up there I'm i know sorry. i can't believe i've never done that yeah. yeah it is a beautiful mountain um they say if you stay on cadridris overnight you come down a madman or a poet so i'm not quite sure which i am <laughs> um yeah so anywhere have get a map out have a look have a read up there's loads and loads of information on the internet um if you check on the snowdonia national park pages there's lots of information there they've got routes they've got maps where to start sometimes starting the walk is the hardest bit where, where do you park where mm. where do you, where's the path and once you get onto the path you think oh actually i can do this and it's you know it's quite it's all right <laughs> so uh, another tip um that i've picked up and now actually i wouldn't go without is um i actually carry a small shelter with me um not so much in the summer but especially if you're going in sort of slightly inclement weather if something happens then you've got a shelter you've got some way of keeping you protected from the weather and if if 
you have to wait for somebody to come and find you or mm. for help. It just gives you that little bit of warmth. Um, they're very small. Um, you can pick them up off the internet, I think 10, 15 pounds, two man shelter. And it, they're very small and it just might be the difference of just keeping you safe for a little bit mm. longer. Helen, it's been fantastic talking to you and hearing about your knowledge of mountain rescue and all your experience and such an outdoorsy life that I know a lot of people will be fascinated by. So thank you for picking a brilliant spot. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? I think the weather's been very, very kind to us today as well. I think this weather's in for a few more days. So you lucky, lucky woman, because you've got the days to go and explore with it. Uh, yes, well, summer holidays as well. Fantastic. Oh, right. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to head back um, along the side of the lake, back to the car, but um, I think I will definitely be returning to this place and to do Cadetra. Right, well, let me know when you're back and let's make a date. I'll tell you, I'll be a pleasure to walk with you. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Helen's episode. You can see photos of our recording and Helen's photography and adventures on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at The Outdoors Fix. You'll also find her on Instagram at Helen Isles. If you want to make the outdoors a bigger part of your life, why not get inspired by some of my other guests? People like Ogea Jizu, who's a hiker and the London regional leader for Black Girls Hike, a walking group for black women. Just have a browse through the dozens of previous episodes of The Outdoors Fix. If you like The Outdoors Fix podcast, it would be brilliant if you could rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and if you could tell your friends and family about it to help spread the word. Lots of you who've listened to The Outdoors Fix before will know that I end each episode with some sounds of nature. So now it's that time to take a short moment to relax and listen to the bird song I'm lucky enough to hear now from my new garden in the Chilterns. I hope you enjoy it. This episode of The Outdoors Fix was supported by outdoor footwear brand Merrill. Merrill is launching a year-long campaign called Hashtag Step Further to encourage people from all walks of life to get outdoors on a micro-adventure to experience the benefits for both their physical and mental health.